can't preach after that. I must be, might have to check my pulse. I didn't. <laughs> All right, if you would open to the pastor scripture, Genesis 45, that uh, Pastor Sam and Sue read from earlier. It's always an honor to be able to stand and share God's word with you and, and uh, just always, I'm, I'm kind of humbled, always humbled by it, that the Lord would allow me to, to talk about him. When I think about who he is, it's amazing. And I don't know of a passage of scripture that illustrates in story form uh, more beautifully than the story of Joseph's life, the greatness and love and mercy and power and sovereignty of our God. I recently uh, saw a meme on Facebook, you know, you can always get inspiration for your sermons from Facebook. <laughs> it posed a question, something like this. I, I didn't write it down, but uh, something along these lines. What is something you wanted as a child that you no longer desire? And someone had commented that the thing that they wanted as a child that they no longer desired was to be an adult. <laughs> Many of you may remember, like I do, uh, those childhood years, especially as you become a teenager, and you start thinking about, if, if I can just get out of this house, if I can just get away from my parents, I can do whatever I want. Did anybody, was anybody else like me thought that at one time in your life? And maybe there are some in this room who think that now. Well, Turn to someone older and ask them how that's working out for them. <laughs> the desire for independence and autonomy is in our DNA. It's, it's really part of our sin nature. We want to do what we want to do. It's, it's especially very American, but it's, it's human. In 1969, Frank Sinatra recorded a song that topped the charts in England. It was in the top 40 in the UK for 75 weeks. Anyone, anybody want to guess what the song's name was? My Way. My Way. <laughs> Many others have sung that song too, Elvis Presley and some others. I did it my way. It's interesting that that stayed on top of the charts for so long, isn't it? Because it's, it's who we are. We want to do it our way. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. We want to do what seems right to us, but God says if we do what seems right to us, that leads to to death. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, the heart of man plans his way, 
but the Lord establishes his step. We may think that we know the way, that we know what's best, and we want to do it our way, and our way is the way that's going to give us happiness, it's the way that's going to fulfill our lives, but, but God's word says we can plan that, but he's the one who establishes our steps. The story of the life of Joseph is so clear in seeing in someone's life, in real time, what the sovereignty of God looks like. The word sovereignty is an interesting word. The definition of the word means to have supreme power, especially over a body politic, according to Merriam-Webster. Supreme power. You know, there's a movement in our nation today uh, entitled uh, or called Sovereign Citizens. Have anybody ever seen anything about the sovereign citizens? A sovereign citizen is someone who believes that they are not under the authority of the government and that they are sovereign on their own. Sometimes when we use the word sovereign, we talk about a sovereign nation. A sovereign nation is defined as a nation that has a centralized government with the power to govern a specific geographical area. Well, if you're a sovereign person, you still can be arrested by the police and incarcerated. <laughs> you can say all you want that you're not under the authority of the law, but the law can still be executed upon you. And if you belong to a sovereign nation, your sovereignty is only as powerful as your ability to enforce it. If you have any doubt about that, ask the people of Ukraine. By definition, there is only one who is sovereign. Isaiah 44 6 through 8 says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not. Nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Our God is the only God. And he is the only sovereign. So if we're going to deal with understanding and responding properly to God's sovereignty, we need to start by getting a grasp on it. I use the word understanding loosely because I don't think we can truly understand God's sovereignty. But I think we can 
get somewhat of a grasp on it because we need to we need to understand it to some degree in order to understand properly how to how to respond to it. The next chapter in Isaiah that I quoted from Isaiah 44, the chapter following chapter 45, God is talking about a man named Cyrus. Many of you know who Cyrus was. Cyrus was king of Persia. And he's talking about this man in, in chapter 45. And Isaiah, the prophet, is telling this about Cyrus 150 years before Cyrus was even born. And here's what he says. Isaiah 45, 1 through 7. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him, to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Our God is absolutely sovereign. He's made it clear in His Word. And so... We can kind of get a little bit of a grasp on his sovereignty, but then we need to move from, from kind of somewhat of a, an intellectual understanding to embracing his sovereignty. Because sometimes when we consider the fact that God is sovereign, that he's all-powerful, that he's in control of all things, people will ask questions like, well... If God is all-powerful, why is there still evil in the world? If God is all-powerful, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this present distress? Now, we could have a whole sermon series on this. And I'm not going to pretend to be able to answer all of those questions, but this is where God's story as he tells the story of how he worked through his people, helps us to see how his sovereignty works in real life. Before we get into Joseph's story, I want to just remind you of another story. A young woman, young Jewish woman named Esther. Remember the story of Esther? Esther was living under the rule of another nation, and the king decided to have a drunken party. A bunch of men who were lustful, wanting to see his beautiful wife Vashti. 
she refused to come out. And so in order to save face before these men, he, he banished her. So now he had to find another queen. And in looking for another queen, they held somewhat of a beauty contest and found Esther. And Esther was, through time, became the queen. And, and then there was a conspiracy to destroy all the Jews. And Esther had been raised by a godly uncle. His name was Mordecai. And when the time came for Esther to stand up for her people, for her to say something, to try to save them, Mordecai said this, Do not think of yourself, to yourself, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. She had come to the kingdom for that time. God had worked in his sovereignty to put her in that position for that time. He had worked through all those circumstances to cause what would glorify him to take place, what would protect his people and preserve the line of Christ. Many of us are very familiar with Romans 8.28, which says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God works all things, all things, the good things, the bad things, righteousness and sin, right choices and wrong choices, joyful things and tragic things. God works all things together for good, for those who love him. It is all done so that he would make us more like Christ. So we often don't understand the difficulties we go through, tragedies that we encounter, but in order to be able to navigate through life, we need to learn what Joseph learned. We need to learn the things that Joseph learned. And he, he didn't learn these things in Sunday school. Would have been nice if he would just been going to church or going to synagogue. Or in his day, they didn't have the synagogue. But if he'd just been taught at his father's knee all of these things and learned them perfectly. But that's not the way Joseph learned these things. Joseph learned what he learned through the terror of being thrown into a pit. And hearing his brothers plot his murder. And he was crying out for their mercy. And they ignored him. Joseph learned these things through being sold by his own family into slavery. Slavery. Joseph learned these things when he was falsely accused 
when he had done absolutely nothing wrong and tried to do what was right before the Lord, and he was imprisoned because he didn't sin. Joseph learned these things when he was forgotten by the cupbearer for two years after he had faithfully served the Lord and interpreted the man's dream. Joseph learned these things when he was separated from his family for 22 years and his beloved father he was not able to speak to or even know if he was still alive. Joseph learned these things when he was sitting on the throne in Egypt and those who had betrayed him came before him and bowed and he had the opportunity to take vengeance on those who had treated him so horribly but he showed them grace instead. See, these lessons are not learned through a life of ease. These lessons are learned through difficulty, through trials, through heartaches. So that brings us to our last point. Well, we got there quick. <laughs> Don't get too comfortable. I have five pages of notes, and I never have five pages of notes. <laughs> Let's look again at Genesis chapter 45. And we're, just, we're not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to start in verse 5, or verse 4 rather. It says, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. So I want to read this because I want us to think about how did Joseph respond to the sovereignty of God? We've just enumerated all the difficulties that he has been through. As, well, actually the last seven years at this point haven't been too bad. <laughs> but the previous 13 were pretty rough. He went through a lot to get to this point. And if you remember, once he had begun serving Pharaoh in Egypt, he, he got married and he had a couple of kids, Manasseh and Ephraim. 
And one son, one son's name means to forget because he said, God made me forget all my trouble in my father's house. And one son's name meant fruitful because he said, now God has made me fruitful in this new land. And so really, Joseph has tried to put all this stuff behind him. But even though he's done that, he has not forgotten what God has taught him. And I want you to see how he responded because in this whole story, obviously Joseph is the most Christ-like individual in the story. He's the one who, who responds in the right way. He's the one whose example we want to follow. So first of all, how did Joseph respond when he was confronted with his brothers? Well, we know that he put them to some tests, kind of ran them through the ringer a little bit, and God was using that to, to do work in their lives. But Joseph showed them kindness. In verse 4, he said to them, come near to me, please. Why did he have to say that? Because when he identified himself as Joseph, they were scared to death. They didn't know what to say. That was the last thing they thought when they talked about Joseph to Joseph, who they didn't know was Joseph. They said, of Joseph, one is no more. One of our brothers is no more. As far as they knew, Joseph was dead. And if he wasn't dead, he was certainly not <laughs> lord over all of Egypt. I mean, you're not expecting your little brother who you... We're going to kill, and then you sold into slavery to show up sitting on the throne. <laughs> they were understand, understandably disturbed when he said, I am Joseph. They didn't understand. How could you even digest that information? But what did Joseph do? He said, come near to me. He invited them to come close to him. And he was gentle with them. He said, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. No one else knew that they sold their little brother. It had to be him. But he was gentle and kind with those who wronged him. The second thing that I noticed about how Joseph responded to God's sovereignty is that he comforted others with the truth that God had taught him. In verse 5, what does he say? He says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. I have an older brother. If my older brother sold me as a slave, I don't know if I could have said that to him. <laughs> at least not at first. It might have taken me a little while. I would have wanted him to squirm. But Joseph said, I don't want you to be angry with yourself. I don't want you to be distressed. Why? Because look at what he shares with them. In verse 5, he says, For God sent me before you to preserve life. You see, Understanding the sovereignty of God is not just about having your doctrine straight. When you learn about God, 
God does not want you to just learn about him so you have more information in your head. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him so it changes you. We sang earlier, you do impossible things. He does, doesn't he? How is it possible for a brother to forgive his brothers who were going to kill him but then sold him into slavery and just lied to their father about his death? How is that possible? That's possible because Joseph knew his God. That's possible because he had a relationship with God. And God had taught him something. And it wasn't just head knowledge with Joseph. It was transformational. Transformational. The third thing that I noticed about how Joseph responded to God's sovereignty is that he saw God's hand in his life and he submitted to God's purposes. He saw God's hand in his life and he submitted to God's purposes. Look in verse 7. He says, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. God had a purpose. God's purpose was to keep you alive. I don't know that I would have wanted them to stay alive after what they had done to me. But to understand God's purposes, God's purpose was to keep them alive. God's purpose was to, was to preserve a remnant. God was doing a work. You know, we know the rest of the story. The work was to bring a Savior. The work was to save you and to save me. You see, this is our history. We wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for this. Amen. We wouldn't know Jesus if it hadn't been for this. Joseph knew he was part of God's plan. And even though he had to suffer pain, even though he had to feel rejection, even though he had to wonder about his father for over 20 years, even though he went through all of that, he was willing to set aside his own comfort, his own opportunity to get vengeance, to entrust God's purposes over his. And then I want you to notice something else. He planned. He made a plan of what to do next in light of what God had revealed to him. Verse 9. It says, or verse 6, excuse me. Let's look at verse 6 again. It says, for the famine has been in the, in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Now, how did he know that? Well, he knew that because you may remember the story of how he got out of prison. He had interpreted the cupbearer's dream accurately, that the cupbearer would be restored to Pharaoh. Two years went by. The cupbearer forgot about him. That also was part of God's sovereign plan. And then after the two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He had two dreams, as a matter of fact. And those two dreams, Joseph later said, were one. And they were telling Pharaoh something that God was going to do. And so Joseph knew what God was going to do. God had revealed it to him. 
God said that there were going to be seven years of plenty. There was going to be so much abundance that they would tax the people one-fifth, and they would put that grain aside. And then there would be seven years of famine. And so Joseph has not only remembered what God has said, but he has witnessed what God has said coming true. He's already lived through seven years of plenty. And after the seven years of plenty, now he's lived through two years of famine. So now he knows there are five years left. And so God is sovereign, and God has sovereignly put me in this position, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't want me to plan. God doesn't want me to prepare because God has given me information. He's given me wisdom to plan with. And so what does he do? Verse 9. He says, hurry up, go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me. And you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have, there I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come. You know, it would be easy to say, well, if God is sovereign and he's in control, then I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to be responsible for anything because God's going to take care of it anyway. But God still wants us to be obedient to him. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to act in light of what he's revealed to us. And so Joseph did that. So how does Joseph's response differ from his brother's response? I believe his brothers really believed that God was sovereign. I think they believed that God was in control. There's some evidence of that. In chapter 42, when Joseph, they had first come to Joseph and, and, and he had uh, kind of taken a, a little bit of a test with them. He, he said, you're not really who you say you are. You're really spies. And when they denied that, he said, well, here's how you can prove that you're really, you're really uh, telling me the truth. I'm going to hold one of you in custody and I'm going to send the rest of you back. And you get that younger brother, Benjamin. He didn't know, say his name, but you get that younger brother and you bring him back. And then I'll know you're telling me the truth. And you remember on their way back, they're so dismayed with this whole situation. One of them opens up his sack and he notices his money still in the sack. This is not good. And... Chapter 42, verse 28 says, At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Yeah, sure, they believed God was sovereign. Reuben had even told them before that. He said, His blood is now being required of us. But see, instead of drawing to God in his sovereignty, they were fearful of God and his sovereignty. Why? Because of their sin. And they had a wrong attitude toward God. They didn't understand his forgiving nature. So Joseph knew God. And he had a right response to God's sovereignty. But his brothers did not. 
As a matter of fact, many years later, sometime later, when Jacob passed away, it was still in the back of their minds. They were still afraid. They were still thinking, well, you know, Joseph said he forgave us, but I don't know if he really did. He's just doing this for Dad. When Dad died, they were afraid. So they, they sent a messenger to Joseph and, and said, oh, by the way, Joseph, uh, before Dad died, he, he left a message for you. <laughs> Forgive your brothers for what they did. They were afraid. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 through verse 21 tells us how, but Joseph responded to that. It says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, there are two things I want you to take away from this message today. One is, God is sovereign. There is no one like him. There is no other sovereign but him. But the second thing I want you to remember is just as important. Your sovereign God has nailed things in his hands. Your sovereign God died for you. You don't have to be afraid. You know, one of the most repeated commands in Scripture is fear not. Fear not. You do not have to be afraid of the sovereign God. Because he came to earth to be like us. He came to earth to die in our place. Because he loves you that much. Yes, he's orchestrating all the events of the world. He's in control of kings and presidents, nations, lives of families and individuals. And there is nothing that is outside of his power. But he loves you. He gave everything he had for you. Because he wanted you to be with him. Our sovereign God has nail prints in his hands. And if we know him like Joseph knew him, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear evil. That doesn't mean that evil won't happen. Evil happens. But you don't have to be afraid. Because your king 
is in control. He's known for mercy. He's known for a cross. He's known for an empty grave. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful that you are our King. We're so grateful, Lord, that yes, you are the only God. There is no one beside you. There is no one who can stay your hand. There was no one who says, why are you doing this? Lord, you are absolute sovereign over all things. And yet you love us. You care for us intimately. You even know the, the number of hairs on our heads. You know every detail about us and you love us anyway. Father, we are so grateful for the privilege of knowing you. Father, I pray that as we close today that your name would be glorified in our hearts, that we would recognize you for who you are. But Lord, most of all, we would not be like Joseph's brothers who cower in fear of you, but we would run to you and trust you, put our faith in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.